Welcome to the AJP podcast, a podcast for pharmacists by pharmacists, where we discuss current events, relevant topics and emerging issues. I'm your host, Carly McMoore, and together with the AJP, I'm bringing you the opinions and expertise of different pharmacists to discuss their views and insights on topics relevant to pharmacists. Please like and rate each episode and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. I'm Faye Seem, the National President of the Pharmaceutical Society of Australia. Thank you. Um, I thought I'd find out from you um, what your understanding is of this and if you could explain to us about the 60-day dispensing and aged care funding through community pharmacy. Thank you, Caroline, and thank you for the opportunity for me to be here today uh, at the AJP podcast. Um, And it's really good for me uh, to have this opportunity here to speak to members of the profession around our understanding of the latest government's announcement of the 60-day dispensing and the aged care. I would have to start by saying that these announcements actually came as a surprise to the PSA because the truth is this this discussion, and I I should say this decision made by the government, uh, came as a surprise because there was a lack of consultation with the profession, specifically through the PSA, because we were not consulted at all during this process. And we've been meeting with the minister's office on a regular basis, as well as the department on a regular basis on a whole range of other matters, but we were not consulted specifically around this 60-day dispensing until the announcement was made. Could you please um, tell us a little bit more about what the 16-day dispensing and what the aged care funding would look like through community pharmacy? Carlin, the truth here is I want to also be very clear that there isn't a lot of information because um, based on just what has been announced by Minister Butler uh, and the Albanese government, essentially what the six-day dispensing, which you know members of the profession would be aware of, essentially what that is saying is that uh, for certain medications that are part of that 325 list of medicines that is currently being proposed, patients would come in, I mean, the, the doctors would have the option to prescribe 60 days worth of medications at one time, and then patients would then have the option to um, have their medicines dispensed um, at a, a, you know two months at a time. And this was actually presented as a part of the affordability um, of medicine campaign. But there are there essentially is no other further information about what the implementation would look like. There, are, there, there, are, there is actually no further information other than what is actually out there. And the minute we've heard wind of this decision or this proposal, I should say, coming into the federal budget this year, we made an urgent request to see the minister and to speak to the minister's office so we could get first-hand information. But um, we didn't actually get a lot of information um, through through that manner, if I if I be honest. And we have concerns because there are far-reaching consequences, as I've mentioned in some of my other forum here, uh, some of the other forums here. And those considerations um, need to be taken into account. And these are the things that only members in the profession and pharmacists who are on the ground, knowing how it works could actually provide consultation and advice, but there was just very minimal consultation, I should say negligible consultation with the profession, and um, quite little information out there at the moment about how all this is going to work. 
So you've mentioned um, the far-reaching consequences. That's my next question about the limitations and challenges for the 60-day dispensing. Because um, I think different pharmacist group are wondering how it's going to impact them. But And I agree that there's very little information out there. But what are some of the force, like some of the consequences that you foresee? There, there are a number of consequences that we must take into account and a number of challenges here, both for the patients as well as for pharmacists. Um, so first of all, it's um, the issue around availability of medicines, because we all know that in Australia at the moment, and this is a matter of fact, you only have to work one day in a pharmacy to know that medicine shortages is a real issue. In Australia, we do at the moment, um, the issue around medicine shortages uh, is becoming more prominent. And many of the pharmacists that I've spoken to, um, even just early this morning, have been raising their concerns with me and said that they spend half their time at work you know, chasing after medicines and managing medicine um, stocks and to ensure that their patients actually have, have medicines. So the issue here is that in such a situation at the moment when we have medicine shortages, increasing the number of or the amount of medication that anyone can have at one time may impact on the overall availability of medicines, which means that some patients might end up not having their medicines. And if patients don't have access to medicine, no medicine means means no care and no care means harmful care and in those circumstances that's not going to be good for the patients and imagine our poor pharmacists would actually have to be managing um, all the conversations as well as stock management but in particular to the people who can't have their medication they would have to deal with those difficult conversations as well and actually work through what can the patient have and that, 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 that's number one. But also number two, what I really want to outline here is that there is also a concern here around medicine safety. Because for the people who, for patients who manage to get their 60 days worth of medicine, if they're the lucky half who can actually have access to that medicine, if they get in early, um, because of the potential stockpiling or hoarding of medications, when they have, when people, um, in any circumstances, when you have increasing amount of medicines at home or kept in the place, it does raise concerns around the safety, safety to the patients, safety to the people around them, um, from, you know, even inadvertent, you know, overdoses or um, medication misadventure. What we are saying is that if, if such a measure were to go ahead, you know, where are the measures in place to ensure medicine safety and ensure that patients can actually be given the right information and appropriate counselling around how to even store the medications? And that's another consideration is that we all know as pharmacists, medicine has to be stored appropriately to ensure the safety and efficacy of the medicines. And storage of medications is critical to ensure the stability of medications. And, you know, increasing the amount dispensed at one time does raise those concerns in relation to um, the stability of medications as well as medicine safety um, concerns as well. But also, very importantly, um, what about medicine wastage? Medicine wastage may rise because if I could, um, you know, um, recently we had a conversation with um, Professor Simon Bell and his research team um, to look at some of the, you know, um, PBS data and the published literature around this. And if I could quote, you know, some of the findings here, 
Um, the PBS dispensing data actually confirms, you know, 6% of patients who initiate the use of um, SGLT2 to manage type 2 diabetes actually do not return for a repeat of the same medication. And of the remaining, 40% did not collect their medications within a 45-day period during the first year of treatment. So what this is saying is that there will be costs to the health system resulting from medicine wastage. And I, PSA is very keen, and we have brought this um, to the attention of the minister's office. We're very keen to understand um, and 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 ask for transparency from um, policymakers around the economic modelling um, and economic justification as to whether that has taken into account the medicine costs associated with medicine wastage. Um, but also, you know, very importantly, um, you know, if you look at the economic modelling, this is when this goes ahead, it will actually affect um, the bottom line of pharmacies across the board. And it, it is actually very, very, very critical for us to understand that in Australia, patients have access to good primary care through GPs and also through community pharmacy. And our community pharmacists have been doing such great work um, and, and the pandemic has showed it all, right? We're there for the community and we play an important part. And therefore, the viability of this community pharmacy network is critical for not just access to care in, in metropolitan areas, but also in rural and remote areas. And any measures like that that impacts the viability of the community pharmacy network essentially weakens the primary healthcare system and patients' access to primary care um, in metropolitan areas, but more so in rural and regional areas. Um, and again, those are the things to work through. And of course, subsequent to that, um, we have um, you know some concerns over what this would mean for our pharmacy workforce, because the majority of our workforce at the moment actually practice in a community pharmacy. And Essentially, a measure like this, when not planned or implemented um, through, you know, adequate thorough consultation, may um, have an impact on career prospects um, and, you know, conditions of work and that sort of stuff for pharmacists. So that's another area that I think we also need to be very mindful about. And if I be honest, this was this would actually also impact women because we all know that in our industry um, we we have you know um, about 60 over 60 percent seven close to 70 percent um, of women in the profession um, and and you know also including our pharmacy technicians pharmacy assistants and students so this is actually an issue that affects all of us every single one of us in the industry thank you so <clears throat> I was going to ask about your thoughts about the lack of consultation with pharmacy groups and the reliance of information from doctors' groups. Yes. So as I mentioned um, at the start of this interview, it, it is very critical that um, pharmacists are part of this consultation process because there should not be any decision about us without us because we are the ones in the industry that actually knows what happens on the ground and um what are the issues and how can we mitigate some of those um, issues? And, and let me be very clear as well. You know, we, we, we want 
to work with the government on this. We want to make sure that through excellence in pharmacist practice, patients can continue to get the best care possible whilst we maintain the viability of the community pharmacy network and the career prospects of pharmacists. And I do believe that this can be achieved, but it must be achieved through consultation with people that can actually provide the information. And, and so I really just want to do want to be very clear that we want to work with the government. In fact, I've spoken to the minister's office, I've written formally to the minister himself seeking for more information about this policy and also PSA has sought and received confirmation from the minister's office that PSA should be a key stakeholder in any subsequent consultation and especially through the implementation process because it's very important, Carlin, that we need to be very pragmatic in this situation because, yes, there are, there have been decisions that have been made without consultation with us and, yes, these, these decisions will impact us in the profession but we have to be pragmatic around controlling what we can control. Government's decision, the government can make decisions as you know, as as part of their role, but it's it, it, the more important thing at the moment is we have to be able to adapt very quickly, and and evolve, um, and and act as the situation changes and evolves, and and that's what I mean by we have to be pragmatic around um, what is the next step and what else can we do um, in such a situation. So th th there are the important thing here is that we have to and we have we have already raised um, our concerns and the things to consider as I outlined earlier directly to the minister's office and it's very critical now moving forward that the profession is consulted and that um, the Minister Butler has also made the announcement that um, any savings that have been made from this policy he has committed to reinvesting that back into the pharmacy industry. And and yes, you know, that there could be some positive thing coming out of that, you know, through pharmacists providing more services. Um, but the, the key here is to ensure that there is that guarantee and assurance to give back to the profession so that our, our profession feel continues to feel confident about um, being in the, the profession um, and patients can continue to, to feel comfortable that their local pharmacist will still be there and that it also gives back, um, you know, the banks and the investors the level of confidence and reassurance needed for the industry. So, so all these are, are, there are things that we will have to work through and we will absolutely work through and actually, um, you know, be the voice of pharmacists as well in this whole process. Thank you. Um, I guess you've mentioned a little bit about it, but I'd ask you again, um, your views about what this means for patients in the short term and the long term. Yes. I mean, from a patient's point of view, you know, this policy, once again, may have an implication on patient access to medication. So the number one priority is that patients are not going to be worse off and that patients, number one, is to continue to have access to the medicines that they need. Because our aim is to have as many as possible, if not all patients, have access to the medicines that they need anytime they need it. So that's the number one thing to ensure uh, that they have they have access to. The other thing is in relation to cost for patients. Again, there's not a lot of information and transparency over the 
economic modelling behind this decision and we don't have information even um, including information relating to safety net, for instance. So is it going to be worse off for the patients? How much is patient going to be paying at the end of, you know, um, a calendar year, for for instance? So those, once again, are the things to work through. But also patients will, it's important that our patients around the country, regardless of where they live, continue to have access to pharmacist care in primary care. And if their local pharmacy shuts down because of, this measure, then what does that mean for them? So I think, once again, those are the things that we will have to work through. And I do want to also point out that the minute PSA um, heard about this um, being the proposal, we immediately started, um, you know, are in the process of now engaging with other politicians in Canberra and also the Department of Health and Aged Care to make sure that they are aware of um, our concerns. And also we have a series of events um, and advocacy planned leading up to the federal uh, budget week. And we will, ab- we will absolutely have a presence at the federal budget week to have as much influence and impact as we possibly can to stand up for the profession. Thank you. Um, there's been lots of commentary from other professions and from patients about the proposed changes or the changes that are going to be happening. What are your thoughts about some of the commentary that you've heard? Uh, well, Carleen, I have to say, you know, there were there were certain days when I said to myself, I just have to turn off my social media so I gain some sanity because, you know, I, I want to, you know, yes, many other professions have been making comments and so on, but I think Everyone can have their own views, but at the end of the day, I want to go with the facts. I want to go with the evidence, and we need information. So what we're asking for at the moment is further information from the government around this policy and also to involve us in the consultation process as well as the implementation of of such a policy. And what the other professions are saying or making claims about, I, I... I think, first of all, it's very, very important that within pharmacy, we stay united as a profession because, as I mentioned earlier, this policy has um, could potentially have far-reaching impact on the profession as a whole. So it's critical that we are united as a profession. That is the only way we can move forward together as one profession. And that's very extremely critical because it affects every one of us, whether you are um, a practicing community pharmacist, um, a pharmacy owner, whether you're an accredited pharmacist or pharmacy technicians, assistants, students, um, even hospital pharmacist, aged care pharmacist. It really doesn't matter um, what role you are in the profession. We need to stay united because this has consequences to all of us. As to what the other professions are making claims about us um, and the rationale behind these and and certain claims about what they've done to make this happen and and that sort of comments, I I probably wouldn't go too much into it because I think we can only control what we can control. Um, And at the end of the day, I do want to also point out that we can only work efficiently and effectively if we work together in the One Health system. I still strongly believe that all the health professionals on the ground needs to work closely together. So the pharmacist needs to work closely with the doctors, with GPs, with specialists. The pharmacist needs to work very closely with other allied health professionals. So I do think that a good working relationship between pharmacists and GPs um, is critical. And I do think that 
at grassroots levels, the two professions actually work relatively well. And this is what we've been hearing on the ground all the time, even from my own first-hand experience as a pharmacist. And it, it's sad for me to know that if, if something like that is going to actually negatively impact the otherwise functional work and relationship between the two professions because ultimately it should be about what our patients need. Our patients can only get the best care possible and they, they need to trust that all the other health professionals caring for them are working for them and working together for them because I think if we all put patient at the centre of our attention, um, it, we, we can all work together and we have to and we really should not get too bogged down into, you know, the turf wars because those are not, those are not, those are, those are not needed. They're, they're not healthy at the end of the day. Patients want us to work together collaboratively. Okay. What is your advice to pharmacists about what they can do now to challenge or to prepare for the 60-day dispensing? Well, I mean, first of all, from a from a from an advocacy perspective, um, we are working with other stakeholders um, as well at the moment, and and we are, like I mentioned in some of my social media posts and my um, communications to members, PSA is working with other organisations, including the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, in relation to this matter because we need to absolutely work collaboratively and united within the profession. So, what can pharmacists do in this instance? Because I, I think it's safe to say that all pharmacists have strong views on this current matter, just from you know reading um, some of the comments on social media and the emails and the phone calls and the texts. You know, really, my phone has not stopped, and and it's fine. I'm here. I'm here for the profession, right? And I will do everything I can. And and I know at PSA we have a massively. Um, impactful and passionate team all working for the profession behind the scene and but what individual pharmacists can do in this instance is if pharmacists share you know similar views or concerns or um, in relation to this policy then I do encourage members of the profession to speak to their local member of parliament and also importantly speak to their patients so that Patients can understand what this means for means to them, um, from an access point of view, from a cost perspective, so that patients can also um, form their own view about uh, what this policy could potentially mean for them. Um, and yeah, it, it is. I do also want to point out, you know, I, I do understand that this is a very stressful time for the profession, and I can sense that the anxiety amongst the profession um, has risen and is still on the rise. So it's critical that um, during such a time that we continue to support each other. So if it's okay that I take this opportunity to also say that, um, you know, pharmacists, please look after yourselves. We have to look after ourselves and we have to look after each other. So support each other through this time because we can get through this together if we're united. And I and to be honest, you know, I'm a I'm a, I'm an optimism. I, I'm I'm optimistic, right? In in most circumstances, and I and I do think you know potentially, um, you know, we, we, this has only just started, right? And I think. Um, there could be positives that could come out of this, but we need more information and we need to be a part of this. And, you know, pharmacists, if, if pharmacists feel that they um, need support because um, 
you know, doing such a, a stressful time, then, you know, please reach out and, and seek the support. And um, I would recommend that they also contact the pharmacist support service um, because that is, um, it's, it's very critical that pharmacists are supported. So if, if, you know, required pharmacist support service line is one three hundred two four four nine one zero. Thank you. Is there anything else you'd like pharmacists to know about what PSA is doing in the background? Yes, if I could, Carlin, touch on the aged care issue as well, if I if I could. And I know that um, a number of consultant pharmacists um, have been um, feeling, I think stress is an understatement, over the surprising statement that Minister Butler has made around a change in the on-site aged care pharmacist program. So the background to that is pharmacists would know that um, a couple of years ago, the government actually made the um, commitment to invest $345.7 million into the on-site aged care pharmacist program. And that was through you know, long-standing advocacy work from the PSA. And when the new government came in place um, and when Minister Butler became our new health minister, um, he came to open PSA 22 last year in Sydney in July. And he also at that time made the commitment to honour the previous government's commitment of $345.7 million into the on-site aged care pharmacist program. And therefore, over the past six months, the department was tasked to um, uh, carry out a thorough and robust consultation process around the implementation. And of course, PSA, we have been having ongoing and regular contact with the department and the minister's office specifically around aged care. And we, and, and therefore, you know, the decision to change the program um, in any way, shape or form has come as a surprise to us. But I do want to say that there is no further information provided by the minister's office in relation to HK. And I do hear um, the concerns of accredited pharmacists. And I do want to voice again um, to remind pharmacists and accredited pharmacists that PSA is 100% supportive of accredited pharmacists. Once again, we have to be pragmatic and we can't control what we can't control. But what we can control is to ensure that PSA continues to have input and continue to be a key stakeholder in the consultation process and the implementation of this HK pharmacist program. And yes, Minister Butler has used the words, you know, community pharmacy outreach HK program. But what does that mean? We actually don't have any further information. So from the PSA's point of view, I'm keen to achieve three things. However, where we handle this, we, we have to work through the implementation with the government and the department. But at the end of the day, what I want to see is three things, right? Number one, this program continues to deliver um, on a program that meets the requirement and the recommendation of the Royal Commission into aged care. Um, that was commissioned back in 2018 um, to improve quality use of medicines in residential aged care facility. That's number one, because it has to be a meaningful program. And the second is um, to ensure that um, there is uh, we maximise time on ground, um, pharmacist time on ground in residential aged care facilities. So they're actually physically there you know, having time on ground to deliver on um, what is required in, in aged care. Um, and that is actually based on uh, recommendations and evidence from pilots, um, you know, a research pilot and trials um, demonstrating that you actually need to have pharmacist time 
on the ground because um, this aged care program is actually um, uh, is was meant to be a holistic program that has um, you know systems operational as well as clinical outcomes from having pharmacists time on ground um, and that that could potentially still be achieved you know through um, a, a different model and and also the third thing if I could be very clear as well what we want to make sure that we can work towards is that patients can continue to have access um, to and, and benefit from HMRs and RMMRs performed by accredited pharmacists at least in the interim until there was decisions made around any of the new programs because I understand there's a rising level of anxiety amongst accredited pharmacies needing to know what their career prospect looks like. And as I mentioned earlier, PSE has been um, very supportive of accredited pharmacists and the priority here is to ensure that um, the department is well briefed around um, the uh, the implications as well as the need for um, consultant pharmacists to continue HMRs and RMMRs at least in the interim until further decisions or information even is, is made available. And, and I do know that the situation is evolving very quickly and therefore, as I mentioned earlier, we, we need to um, be... Um, adaptive and to work, um, you know, swiftly with what we have. And I guess I'd say that 60-day dispensing um, affects more people than just pharmacists and patients. So intensive had lots of questions and wholesalers will be impacted, locum pharmacists, banks, potentially the pharmaceutical industry with repackaging of medication. What are the impacts you see on a larger scale as well for some of the other industries? Well, look, I mean, uh, you, you made a really good point there, um, Carleen, because absolutely this is um, a measure or a policy that would actually affect um, everyone, including yes, and the wholesalers and the medication supply perspective and so on. And, and that is why um, the, the, the announcement made by the government around this policy in particular will have implications on the entire sector and it would actually lead to um, issues, uh, not issues, but it, it, there will be things that needs to be put in place in relation to um, implementation and also additional training and planning and therefore there needs to be transparency over the whole policy and how the policy evolves. So it, it does absolutely affect everyone in, in the entire ecosystem. It does affect affect everyone. And it will have flow-on effects as well on other professions because if this affects the bottom line of pharmacies and it affects the viability of community pharmacy, yes, it affects the access to care by the local community, by the public, but it will also affect... Um, health professions in those areas as well because I do know that in many of the rural remote towns in Australia, for example, where pharmacies are the only point of contact for healthcare, many other health professionals actually rely on that point of contact or pharmacies being that point of contact to um, to continue to provide care and continuity of care, if you like, to the locals who live in the area. Um, so this would also impact on, you know, the the work um, of other health professions as well. And I do also want to point out that we do have a GP access crisis in Australia at the moment. The average wait time, average wait time, I mean, 
of, of seeing a GP has now risen to at least 4.5 days. And this is just average. It, it's longer in some areas, in particular also in rural and remote areas. So access to care is definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration. So I thought I'd ask you if there's any other sentiments that you wanted to share with pharmacists um, through this challenging and confusing time. Yes, um, if I could reiterate, you know, I, I, you know, PSA, here's the concerns. We know that this is something that is very close to our hearts as pharmacists. Um, so please know that, you know, PSA is working with all key stakeholders and organisations within the profession to fight for our profession and also fight for our profession to continue to provide excellent care to the patients that we really, really care about. And it is a very stressful time. And I do want to also remind pharmacists again to please look after yourselves and please look after each other because we have to stay strong and stay united. And of course, we will brief um, and keep the members, um, PSA members informed of any um, um, any progress in this area. But please know that um, PSA will not stop and we haven't stopped and we will continue to work in the background um, and engage with whoever that is relevant um, to make sure that we get the best outcome possible for pharmacists and for our patients. Is there anything else you'd like to share that I... Uh, not at this stage, but I'll be very, very open to um, ongoing having this ongoing conversation um, as the, the situation evolves. So thank you so much for having me here today, Carleen. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Faithum. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the AJP podcast. If you have any thoughts, comments or suggestions about this episode, please visit the AJP website forum at ajp.com.au and join the conversation. If you have any suggestions for future topics or would like to participate in the podcast, please follow us on Twitter at AJP podcast and send us a message.